I'd like you to take a Bible, let's open it together, in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, we'd like you to borrow our copy. You'll find it on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 204 of our copy of the Bible, or 1 Samuel 18 in your copy as we continue our ongoing study in the life of David, the great man of God, page 204, our copy of the Bible. Now, I'm sure many of you have either read the book or seen the movie Patriot Games, and if you have, you remember the plot, of course, that here is this guy, a member of the Irish Republican Army, whose brother is accidentally shot by Dr. Jack Ryan, CIA intelligence sort of guy, and how this IRA guy, of course, Harrison Ford played Dr. Jack Ryan, how this IRA guy then decides he's going after Harrison Ford, and he's going to kill him no matter what it takes. He tries to hire an assassin, that fails. He tries to run down uh, the guy's wife and daughter. That fails, and finally he decides he's going to take matters in his own hands, come to America, hunt Jack Ryan down, and kill him himself. And you know, absolutely nothing would stop this guy if you remember the movie or the uh, the book. And I remember remarking when we walked out of the movie theater to someone who was with me, I remember saying, You know what? That is one guy I would not want to have as my enemy, huh? Now, you know, who are some other candidates in our world for people you would not want to have as an enemy? I thought of a couple. How about a Halloween Freddy Krueger? Not the guy you want as your enemy. How about the fatal attraction lady? No, 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 no. You don't want her as your enemy. How about the T-1000 unit from Terminator 2? You know, the guy you shoot him, he's like Mercury, and he just comes back together again? No, no, no. You don't want that guy chasing you. Well, no matter who it is... The truth is, nobody likes to have an enemy that's after them, regardless of who that person might be. And yet, sometimes in life, isn't it true, no matter how hard we try, folks, it seems like sometimes you find yourself having enemies, and and it's just, no matter how hard you try, you got them. Well, you know, David was the same way. We're going to see today that he had an enemy that he created, a guy named Saul. And uh, we want to look and see how David responded, how he handled his enemy. Because, you know, many times we think if we've got an enemy coming after us like that, that we're going to lose the blessing of God if we've got ourselves in a situation like that. And that's not true. David didn't lose the blessing of God. But it's because he handled his enemy in a biblical way. And we want to see what are the principles that David exhibited in terms of responding to an enemy that kept coming on him so you and I can pull that out and use it here in the 20th century, okay? So let's look. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, middle of the verse, and while David was playing his harp as he usually did, Saul was there in the room with a spear in his hand, and suddenly he hurled it at David, saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall. I think this might have been the first inkling David had that we have a problem. You know, I I would have thought that, wouldn't you? And it says, verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had left Saul. So he would, that is Saul, would send David away from him and he gave him command over a thousand men in the army. And David led the troops on their campaigns. And in everything he did, David had great success because the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw how successful David was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. David, life was going great for David. I mean, everything he touched turned to shekels. You know what I'm saying? But 
He had Saul who, because of Saul's incredible paranoia, he just, in his incredible suspicious nature, he just decided that regardless of what it cost him, he was going to kill David. Intentionally, deliberately, he was going to kill David. And as we're going to see in the weeks to come, Saul came up with scheme after scheme after scheme of how he was going to get rid of David. The first one he comes up with is right here in the chapter. After throwing the spear at him fails, he comes up with a plan. Look with me at verse 17. And Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merab. I will give you to her in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord for me. For Saul said to himself, here's the plan. I will not raise a hand against him. I'll let the Philistines do that. Do you understand what the plan is here? He's a, he's a, he invites David to marry into the family. And he figures, well, once David becomes his son-in-law and marries into the family, David will let his guard down. David will relax. And then Saul can send him out on every kind of crazy, risky mission that he's got. And sooner or later, David will get killed on one of these risky missions. And then when all the people will turn to Saul and go, how could this happen? Saul can put his hands up and go, well, I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. I mean, he was just out there. The Philistines killed him. I didn't do anything. Don't look at me. It's not my fault. Sounds like somebody on Capitol Hill came up with this one, doesn't it? Sounds real familiar to Washington, doesn't it? Well, David at first refuses to marry his daughter and finally then agrees to marry his second daughter. And so pick up in verse 24. And uh, it says in verse 24 that when they went to Saul and told him that David now was ready to marry his daughter, Saul sent a message back and he said, listen to what you tell David. Tell him that the king wants no other price for the bride, no other bride price than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. And Saul's plan was that he would have David get killed out there trying to get one hundred Philistine foreskins. Now, do you understand what's going on here? Uh, the issue is the price of the bride, verse 25, uh, that, that, that David is supposed to have to pay Saul for his daughter. We often call this a dowry. This is something that a groom would pay a father when he wanted to take that father's daughter in marriage. He said, Lon, this is awful. This is horrible. I mean, this is like treating a woman like a piece of property. This is treating a woman like a commodity that you're buying and you're selling. Not like a person. This is disgusting. Well, you're right. But remember the way things were in that day. This was not a technological culture. This was a manual labor culture. And when a woman, a daughter, grew up in the home and was able to carry much of the load of the manual labor in that home, she was a huge asset to a family. And now if she's going to get married and she's going to move away, the dowry was in a way was to compensate the family for the loss of an incredible asset in losing this daughter. You say, but I don't care. That's still treating a woman like a commodity and I don't like it and I really don't like reading about it in the Bible. Well, friends, ladies, let me tell you something. The Bible never endorses this view of women. The Bible here is just recording for you a, a custom that was followed in the ancient Near East and not just in Israel, but throughout the entire ancient Near East. Let me tell you something very interesting. Do you know there are still cultures today, many cultures today, where this is still in practice, where you still have to do this? And if you look very carefully, here's what you'll find that's very interesting. These cultures are cultures that have never been touched deeply by Jesus Christ and by Christianity. The cultures that have been impacted by Jesus Christ and Christianity in our world today are the cultures where women enjoy the greatest amounts of freedom and respect anywhere in the world. And there's a reason for this. The reason is that Jesus Christ is the greatest ally that women have ever had. 
You see, when Jesus Christ came into the Roman world that he came into when he was born into it, this was a world where women were routinely abused, where they were powerless, where they were disenfranchised. And he came into that world and he demanded that his followers, Christian men, treat women differently. He demanded that Christian men treat women with dignity and respect and with courtesy and with kindness and with equanimity. Patricia Ireland will go around and tell you that Jesus Christ and Christianity is the greatest enemy of women's rights in the world. And this woman, she just doesn't get it. I've been to many of these non-Christian countries. I have seen with my own eyes how dreadfully women are treated in these countries many times as a direct result of the religious beliefs of those countries. And friends, if you want to identify some enemies of women's rights, I can give you some great religious candidates, but true biblical Christianity is not one of them. If you're here and you're a lady, and you want real liberation, I'm going to hear here to tell you, you will not find real liberation with a membership to now. You will find it in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because He is the one who's committed to taking your life and redeeming it and making you everything He created you to be and helping you become the woman you've always dreamed of being. That's where you'll find real liberation. And men, it's the same way. Now, I know we're off the subject a little bit, but that needed to be said. Now... Let's get back to David and figure out what's going on here. Remember, for his dowry, he's got to bring a hundred Philistine foreskins. Now, you, we all know what that means, right? That all means, that means he's got to go out and kill one hundred Philistines. And that's probably as much exposition as we ought to do on that verse. Uh, let's move on. And, 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 and the plan was that Saul, Saul's plan was David was going to get killed out there doing it. Now, how did it all work out? Well, look at verse 26. It says in verse 26, when the attendants came and told David, David said, fine. And he went out, it says in verse 27, and didn't kill 100, but killed 200 Philistines, brought their foreskins in, gave it to Saul, married his daughter. And verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became even more afraid of him. Watch, and he remained David's enemy the rest of David's life. Saul didn't take no for an answer. And when this plan didn't work, he didn't say, oh, well, I guess we won't kill him. Man, he is gonna, his whole agenda is going to become killing David. He is going to become obsessed with killing David. He was David's enemy the rest of his life. What did David do? Verse 30. And the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle. So what did David do? Well, what was his duty? He was a commander in the army. So it says David, he didn't get sidetracked by the fact Saul was after him. He continued to do his duty. As often as they came out, David went out with his troops and he met them and fought them and had more success than all the rest of Saul's officers. And he became a public figure in Israel. Now that's the end of the passage. But it leads us to ask a really important question. What's the question? So what? God bless you people. You, I love you people. God bless you people. So what? Lon, you know, this is a great story. I appreciate the story. But man, you know, I'm not about to give a diary. I'm not ready to get married. You handled the foreskin thing good. But this makes no difference to my everyday life. But what are we going to do? I mean, this makes no difference to my life. Yes, it does. Wait a minute. David had an enemy, right? An enemy who was determined to get him. 
Now, what we want to look at and see is how did David handle this enemy? Biblically, how did he handle him so that the blessing of God didn't evaporate off of his life? And then we want to draw those principles out because, hey, we have some enemies, don't we? We need to know how God says we ought to handle them. I've got three, three principles to give you. David exhibited all three of them. Here we go. Number one. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Number one, page 684. Matthew chapter 5, page 684, and here's number one. Principle number one is, go to that person, go to your enemy, and try to work things out. Try to make things right. Look right here in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 23. Matthew 5, verse 23. Jesus said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you're on your way to church... And there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to your brother or your sister and then come and go to church. Now what Jesus is really saying here is that if somebody's got something against you, you need to go to them as a Christian. You need to take the initiative. You need to ask them, hey, did I do something wrong? I mean, did I hurt you? Did I embarrass you? Did I cause you to lose face? Is there anything that I did to cause this? See, friends, lots of times, the reason that people are out to get us, even though they may not come right out and say it, is that something we've done, something we've said, started the whole thing in their mind. As far as they're concerned, we were the ones who struck first and they're just striking back. Now you may not realize that, you may be completely oblivious to that, you may not have any awareness that you did that, but if that's what they think, that's what's real for them. And many times, you can fix the whole thing with just a conversation. But somebody's got to take the initiative. Somebody's got to humble themselves enough to go and open that conversation up. And God says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that person needs to be you. Needs to be you. Now, in light of what Jesus says here, let me tell you, there's a lot of us today who shouldn't be in church. We ought to be out making phone calls. We ought to be out having breakfast with people and lunch with people and saying to people, is this my fault? Did I cause this? Because we know there are people out there who have something against us. Don't get up and leave right now. But when we're done, you need to go make some phone calls. This is, God is serious about this. Did David do this with Saul? Absolutely he did. After the first opportunity that he had to kill him, when he didn't, he went to Saul and here's what he said. 1 Samuel 26 verse 18, he said, Saul, why are you pursuing me, my Lord? Why are you out to kill me? What have I done? Where have I wronged you? He said, Saul, if you would just tell me, I'll fix it. Is it my fault? What have I done? Tell me and I'll fix it. When I was in high school... Uh, I had my share of problems. Uh, I was not exactly what you would call a very functional person in high school. <laughs> that's putting it mildly. In fact, my wife still doesn't think I am, but that's kind of another discussion. But I'm better than I used to be. And in high school, I had a lot of bad relationships. And I had this one guy who was hell-bent on beating me up every day after school. If, if he would catch me in the parking lot, and before I could get to the bus, he would pummel me in the parking lot. And it got so bad, I would come, try to come out different doors of high school every day so that he never knew what door I was coming out. Because if I could get to the bus before he got me, I was safe. And uh, this is how my life went on for a couple of weeks. This is a miserable way to live, sneaking out of different doors of the high school every day. So I finally went to my father. I said, i got to get some advice. I didn't know what to do. I can't remember three significant conversations my father and I ever had in my whole life, but this was one of them. And one night after dinner, he was upstairs reading the paper, watching television, which is what he always does, world without end, amen, you know. And so I went upstairs and I said, Dad, i got a problem. Could I talk to you? And he goes, all right. 
I said, I got this kid at school and I told him all about it. And after I told him about it, he actually gave me good advice. Imagine that. Your dad giving you good advice. Amazing. So, he said to me, well, Lon, he said, did you you do anything to make him mad? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, why don't you go and ask him? Whoa, there's a novel idea. Whoa. So I did. I went to school the next day and I saw him in the hall and I swear this is due. As soon as I saw him in the hall, his fist came up and I said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you hit me, before you hit me, I want to ask you a question. And here's my question. Have, is this my fault? Have I done anything to make you mad? I mean, did I do anything to cause this? And he put his fist down and he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, man, two months ago in math class, don't you remember? You said something that made me feel like a complete idiot. You said something that made me look like an ignoramus. I mean, don't you remember that? Well, honestly, I didn't. Now, this guy was not a rocket scientist, so you didn't have to say much to make him look stupid. You understand what I'm saying? It didn't, you didn't have to put out a lot of effort, but I didn't even remember it. And, and I said, well, I don't even remember doing that. I said, but I'd like to apologize. I'm really, really sorry I did that. I, you know, I'm sorry. And do you know what? This guy went on to become one of my absolute best friends in high school. I mean, we were this close the whole rest of the time that we were in high school. And there were lots of other people who wanted to beat me up in high school. And this guy would stand next to me and not let him do it. This was great. I love this guy. He became one of my best buds. And the whole thing was solved just by somebody going and saying, Hey, let's talk. Is this my fault? Friends, you know what? You may find that some of the people who seem to be your worst enemies think you started it. And they're just striking back thinking you you landed the first blow and you don't even realize it. If you go talk to them, you might be able to settle the whole thing with a conversation. Humble yourself. Take the initiative like Jesus tells you to and go open that conversation. You say, but Lon, that's not always going to work. I know. Sometimes you can go to people like this and you can apologize all you want and you can bake them cupcakes and it's not going to make one bit of difference. So you say, well, Lon, what do you do with somebody like that? Well, that's exactly what David had with Saul, right? As many times as he went and apologized to Saul, it didn't make one bit of difference. Saul was still out to kill him. In fact, David wrote about it in Psalm 120. He said, I was for peace, but Saul was for war every time I spoke. So what do you do with somebody like that? Well, principle number two. Here we go. Romans chapter 12. Would you turn there? It's page 804 if you're using our copy of the Bible. Romans chapter 12. And look at the end of the chapter. Principle number two is this. If a simple conversation like that won't solve the problem and your enemy just keeps on coming and they are a devoted enemy and there's nothing you can do to fix it. Here's principle number two. Ready? Take the high road. Take the high road, folks. God wants you to take the high road. What does that exactly mean? Well, let's read here. Look at chapter 12. Look at verse 18. God says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. You know what I love about God? I love the fact that God is a realist. Don't you love that? Look what he says here. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everybody. But God knows it's not always possible. He's a realist. So what do I do if it's not possible? He says right here, as far as it depends on you. In such cases, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with everybody. What's God saying? God is saying here, you make sure your heart is right. You make sure there's no bad blood in your heart. Friends, you and I cannot be responsible for other people's hearts. 
all we can do is be responsible for our heart. And God says, if you get into a situation where the other person doesn't want to tango, it takes two to tango, and if the other person doesn't want to dance, then you can't change them. You just make sure your heart is right. Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross, there's a story told about her about how one day she was talking to a friend and the friend was reminding her of this other person and how many dirty, nasty things this other person had done to Clara Barton. And how, you know, she, every time Clara Barton saw her, she was just so nice and so calm around her. And she said to Clara Barton these words, she said, don't you remember what this woman has done to you? And Clara Barton responded and said, yes. She said, I distinctly remember deciding to forget it. Isn't that wonderful? I distinctly remember that I decided to forget it. And I forgot it. And it's an, it's, it, my heart's clean. My heart's right. You say, but Yelon, what do you do when somebody keeps coming? What do you do when they keep coming to get you? Well, read the rest of this. It says, verse 19, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. God says, listen, if somebody keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you and coming at you, take heart, friends. I will take under my responsibility to give them whatever they deserve, to pay them back whatever they need. You don't need to deal with that. I'll handle that. You say, well, then what do I do to them? Very good. Verse 20. If he's hungry, your enemy, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Why will I do that? Because as long as I leave the revenge and the payback in God's hands, God will do a much better job than I will ever do. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. I love the way another translation translates this. It says, do not let evil defeat you, but you defeat evil with good. In other words... God says, I want you to take the high road. I don't want you fighting fire with fire. I want you fighting their fire with the water of kindness and goodness and, and, and returning gentleness to them. That's what I want you to fight it with. And if you'll do that, God says, I will personally take care of them. You don't need to worry about them. Now, did David do this? You bet he did. Twice he had the chance to kill Saul. Did he do it? No. Twice his men wanted to kill Saul and had the chance. And he wouldn't let him do it. And if you read the Bible, you will find never once did David ever say a bad word about Saul. Never once did David ever undercut Saul's kingship. Never once did David ever assassinate Saul's character. Never once did David do anything to weaken Saul's position. This was a man who said, as far as it is with me, I'm at peace with Saul. Saul may not be at peace with me, but I am at peace with Saul. Folks, you know what? I've got people all over Northern Virginia who don't like me. Now, a big part of it is the way I drive. And I admit that. I, I admit that. But, but, uh, but another part of it is that I've been a pastor here for 18 years and I've had to make some decisions that people don't like. People, the decisions that people didn't agree with. And we met, I've met with people and we talk about the decision and we try to work it out, but they still didn't like it. And they got mad and they left this church and they walked out and they're still mad today and upset today. And if you were to meet them on the street with all of the enthusiasm and vigor of a campaigner, they would describe me to you as a person with an eyeball in the middle of my forehead, two horns, a pointy tail and a pitchfork. And they would tell it to you with everything in them. Well, what do you do about folks like that? I mean, you know, another meeting's not going to help. We've met. We've talked. I, I tell you, I've accepted the fact. I've come to the place I can just accept the fact that in life, sometimes there are going to be people who just don't like you. 
Sometimes there are going to be people who just don't want to get along with you. Sometimes there are going to be people who your face just turns their stomach and they just want to get you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you know what is interesting here? God says, if you've got somebody like that in your life and you can't make things right with them, it does not mean you're a bad Christian. It does not mean that you're displeasing to God. It does not mean that you're a spiritual failure. David had a man just like this in his life, and he was a man after God's own heart. What God says is, look, you take the responsibility for you, and your responsibility is you make sure your heart's right. I could meet these people on the street, I could shake their hands, and if they needed the favor, I could do it for them. Because I've tried, God's brought me to the place where I've made my heart right towards them. And if their heart's not right towards me, you know what? That is not my responsibility, and I can't worry about it. Principle number three. Principle number three. Galatians chapter six. Page 826. If you turn there, we'll do this very quickly. Galatians chapter six. Here's principle number three. Is keep on faithfully living for God. Keep on faithfully doing your duty for God. Isn't it interesting that when Saul was out to get David, remember what we read, verse 30? That David just kept on being a good army commander. The Philistines would come out, he'd just go right back out and command his troops and fight them. He did not let Saul's hostility dissuade him, turn him, fuzz his focus, get him off on a rabbit trail, but he stayed focused on what God had called him to do. One of the greatest dangers of having an enemy is that it's very easy for our whole agenda in life to turn and become focused on our enemy, how to deal with our enemy, how to get around our enemy, how to politically maneuver with our enemy. God says, don't do that. No, no, no. You stay focused on doing what I called you to do. I'll deal with the enemy. You stay focused. Look here in Galatians chapter six. Verse seven is all about people who do bad stuff. God said, don't worry what people reap. They're going to what people sow. Rather, they're going to reap. I'll take care of them. And a lot of us go, hey, that's great. That's great news. Well, wait a minute, there's more here. We've got to read the rest of it. Verse 9. What should we do? Let us not become weary in doing good. Don't lose your focus. Don't become absorbed with your enemy. Keep on doing what God called you to do. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What God's telling us here is if you have an enemy at your workplace, don't let that enemy take over your agenda. You've got a duty at that workplace, my friend, to be a godly employee and a good worker. You stay focused on your duty and treat your enemy as a minor annoyance and God will take care of your enemy. If you've got an enemy at school, don't get focused on that enemy and how to deal with that enemy. You've got a duty to do at school and that study hard and be a godly witness in your school and make a difference for Christ in the lives of people in your school and you stay focused on that. God will deal with your enemy and if you've got an enemy in your family or in your neighborhood friends we have a duty to perform to be godly husbands godly wives godly parents godly neighbors you stay focused on what your duty is god will deal with that enemy don't and and, and if you're a pastor here man making enemies is part of the job description of doing this job and God says to us, men, stay focused on doing what I called you to do. Don't spend all your time and energy worrying about the enemies. I'll deal with them. You stay focused on leading that church for God. You know, Abraham Lincoln was probably our greatest president. I don't think anybody would argue with that. 
But unless you've read Abraham's Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's biography, you probably don't realize how much incredible attack this man suffered when he was in office. Unbelievable, beyond description. He was called the original gorilla because his arms were kind of long and he kind of looked a little like a gorilla. And in all the caricatures, all the political cartoons, they, they would paint him up as a gorilla. He was called by one, uh, one uh, newspaper a first-rate, second-rate man. Uh, a London newspaper said, Never were issues so momentous placed in so feeble a hand. And the day after he delivered the Gettysburg Address, here's what one Chicago paper said about him. It said, The cheek of every American must tingle with shame as we have to read the silly, flat utterances of this man who we have to point out to foreigners as the President of the United States. End of quote. And that's just a, a tiny smattering of what he went through. His response? Listen to his focus. And I quote. He said, I do the very best I can. The very best I know how. And I mean to keep on doing so until the very end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me won't amount to anything. And if the end doesn't bring me out all right, then ten angels swearing I was right would make no difference. Now, one more sentence. Listen to this focus. Nobody, Lincoln said, who is resolved to make the most out of his life can spare the time or the energy to get involved in personal contention. Do you hear that? Listen again. Nobody who's determined to make the most of their life can afford the time or the energy to lose their focus and go off and deal with all these personal attacks. You can't do that. Lincoln said, I got a country to run. I don't have time to go off and deal with all these people attacking me. I got a country to run. God called me to run a country. I'm going to run a country and I'll worry. These people take care of themselves. But I'm not going to stop running a country to go off and deal with them. And friends, God may not have called you to run a country, but God has called you to run a family. God has called you to run a marriage. God has called you to run a business. God has called you to study in school. And God has called you to be a godly man or a godly woman. You've got an agenda. Don't let somebody get you off your agenda because they're your enemy. Treat them as a minor annoyance. And you stay focused on the agenda God's given you. And God will bless your life. He blessed David's life and he'll bless you as the same. Okay, let's review. What are the three principles? Number one, go to a person and see if you can make it right. Many times that'll solve the problem if you've got an enemy. Number two, if that doesn't fix it, take the high road. Don't you go down and mud wrestle with these people. You take the high road and God will bless your life. And number three, stay focused on faithfully living for God, doing your duty for God. Don't let these people get you off on some rabbit trail. You stay focused on what God called you to do. God will take care of them. Now, one thing, I've had to practice all three of these principles a lot. And I'll tell you one thing I've learned is my flesh doesn't want to do any one of the three of them. And the only way I've gotten the strength to do them is on my knees saying, God, this is what I know is right. You need to give me the strength by the Spirit of God because, frankly, I don't want to do any one of these three things. And friends, if you're going to set out to live in reaction to your enemies the way God tells you, that's great. But just be advised, not a part of you, not one small part of you is going to want to live this way. You're going to have to get on your knees and ask for God's supernatural empowerment to do it. But here's the good news. You ask for empowerment to live the way God tells you, and you'll get it. And may God help you do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, none of us um, like having enemies. Doesn't feel good, brings stress to our life. And for many of us, we worry about it just being a terrible, 
terrible representation of Jesus Christ to people around us. And yet sometimes, Lord, you know as hard as we try, it seems like we make enemies. So I thank you today for giving us a strategy, a biblical strategy for how to deal with our enemies. One that David used and one that you blessed him for using. Lord Jesus, give us the courage we need. Give us the power we need to be willing to say no to our flesh and what it wants and to live out these principles in obedience to you. Give us the humility, Lord, and the obedience to go to people we know have something against us and open up that conversation. God, give us the strength we need to return good for evil and take the high road. And God, give us the focus we need to stay centered around our duty that you've given us and not to get distracted by all of these minor little attacks that come from the side. God, help us live the way you want in reaction to our enemies, that we might enjoy your blessing the way David did. And thanks for teaching us these principles this morning. May you change our lives by what we've heard here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.